If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Mousepack, Ferrer, Nola, Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Mosusuka. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on April 21st. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, we're going to recap all of Thursday's action. Smaller slate, only seven games on the schedule. Week five sleepers, two-star pitchers. Fernando Tatis Jr. is back. We'll get into all that. Before we get started, please like this video. Subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. If you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating. It really helps, and we really do appreciate it. Guys, let's jump right in. Oh, my good goodness gracious. Atta girl, Susan. Yeah, epic fail by me. Uh, if you're watching on the video side, I played the wrong Kokomo Friday video. Okay, I was going to call you out uh, on I, that. I, I, I was going to say up. something because oh, on the day that Connor Joe hits a home run <sighs> to get his OPS above 1,000 for the season and you don't play the Connor Joe Kokomo. I'll play it now. Unbelievable. I'll play it now. Unbelievable. Don't, don't, don't tempt me. Chris. Amateur hour for it's, it's kind of hard, you know, producing and hosting at the same time. So I clicked the wrong one. Apologies for those watching. If you're listening on the audio side, I will play the right one. And I do love Connor Joe. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Scott, why don't you kick us off? Oh, my goodness gracious. Player of the night. Scott is frozen, but he just has the most happy look on his face of all time. And now he's gone. So, Chris, I'll start with you instead. Oh, my goodness gracious. Player of the night. 
Oh, the timing was perfect there. I am going to go with Xander Bogarts, who hit another home run today. I think that gives him, is that four? Five. On the season, five on the season for Xander Bogarts. Frank Stample and Scott White said he wouldn't even hit five this season in your faces. No, I, I think it's worth talking about the start to the season that Xander Bogarts has had because he's been incredible. He has a he had a 941 OPS coming into the game. He's now hitting 350 with a 993 OPS through the first 22 games of the season. Obviously, we understand that the sample sizes are small. And then Xander Bogarts will likely not hit 350 for the remainder of the season. But I I think I think you and Scott owe him an an apology. Because I, I think the arguments you were making against him coming into the season were were pretty sound. His quality of contact metrics, not so good. Uh, certainly not as good as the kind of draft price you were paying for Xander Bogarts, usually. And the move from Fenway Park to playing half his games at Petco was a downgrade in Park. And so I think it was reasonable to have some concerns. This is also, this is one of those things as I get older and as I get a little more experience, I, I do tend to like start trusting my gut a little more. I'm never going to be a uh, an eye test or gut guy in terms of my fantasy analysis. But for a guy like Xander Bogarts, to a certain extent, I don't really care about the quality of contact metrics. Like even right now. He's had five barreled balls this season. His hard hit rate is 23.5%, which is very low. It's actually the lowest of his career. His average exit velocity, 86.8 miles per hour, also not very good. And yet I like what he's doing is not sustainable, but I think he's going to continue to be really good. And it's one of those things where it's just like most of the metrics that I use to analyze most players suggest that Xander Bogarts won't be a particularly good player moving forward. I just, whatever it is, whatever he's got that dog in him or he's built different or he's him with a capital H, whatever the kids are saying, I think that applies to Xander Bogarts. I think he's one of those guys that just, for whatever reason, the the metrics just don't account for what it is that makes him great. And that's not to say that he's going to have a 1,000 OPS moving forward. I would think 150 points less than that is probably more realistic. But I do think Xander Bogarts is not really a sell-high candidate right now. I think he's just going to remain one of the better hitters at the shortstop position in a fantastic lineup that just got better today with the addition of Fernando Tatis. So I, uh, I just think Xander Bogarts needed some love. Yes, and Xander Bogarts, if you're out there listening, I would like to personally apologize for you for being wrong so far three weeks. I think we're exactly three weeks into the baseball season so far. He's looked fantastic for all the reasons you mentioned, Chris, and I tried to work that into my analysis more, too. I mean, there are just some players that defy the numbers, defy the underlying analytics. Jose Altuve is somebody that comes to mind. His quality of contact is never good, but he maximizes what he does because he pulls everything in the air and it's a great ballpark and a great lineup to hit in. Chris Bryant is another one where mm-hmm. the, the quality of contact never looks good for him, yep. but he just finds a way to put up numbers. So I think that there are just no players. Leonardo. Yeah, there are just players that defy these numbers. And when they've done it for so long, I think you just kind of trust it. The first thing I was going to say, well... 
you know, process over results right now, if you look at the underlying metrics for Bogarts, it looks pretty bad. But I think for the most part, I disagree with you, Chris. I, I like the counting stats are already there. Five homers, 14 runs, 12 RBI. That's been without Fernando Tatis Jr. in the lineup so far, too. So I think the counting stats will only continue to get better. Like, yes, some of these numbers are going to drop overall. But yes. like, what can you even sell Bogarts high for right now if you wanted to? A pitcher? Okay, maybe. I mean, everyone needs pitching right now. Or I'm just looking at the shortstop position. Can you get Bobby Witt Jr.? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Like, like if you could, sure. I, I think in a like Wander Franco is an interesting one. I think if I could get him in a points league, but the person I, who has Wander Franco is feeling pretty good about that too. So I don't think they're going to yeah. make that move. I think, I it's think kind I'd of, still rather. I think I'd rather have Xander. I'd rather have than Dansby. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I guess if you have like a shortstop to play with, if you could get. Corey Seager plus something, maybe that'd be worth doing. And you you could just like weather the storm for the next month. But all in all, I, I just, and, and I think it's like Manny Machado is another player like that where like I had somebody say, well, the, the underlying metrics look pretty bad. And it's like, it's Manny Machado, right? Like that guy's going into the hall of fame. Xander Bogarts, he may not get into the hall of fame, but he's been a pretty awesome player for like a decade. Almost. These are the kind of players it's, it's not everyone. Yeah. But there are there are a handful of players who won, like we talked about, Nolan Arnato, Chris Bryant, uh, a handful of other guys who just like the underlying metrics don't seem to enca- encapsulate what they do well. Jose Altuve, three, two for sure, Hall of Fame caliber players. I just, yeah, I don't worry too much about any of those guys either like, oh, sell high because they're not playing as well as their their metrics suggest or any you know anything like that. I think those guys are just... They're just really, really good. Yep. And I have Bogarts as my seventh ranked shortstop right now. He's just behind Wander Franco. But to me, those guys have very similar value. It's kind of a wash. So I don't think that makes sense. The move for a pitcher, that's the move that that might make some sense. If yeah. if you need pitching and maybe you just got Bogarts and another, you know, breakout shortstop so far. I don't I don't even know who that would be. Like a Volpe, he's come around recently. Then yeah, maybe you could look to to flip Bogarts for that. But if not, I, I would just rather hold on to him and I think he's just going to turn out to be really good and probably make me look dumb this year. Oh my goodness gracious for me, James Outman is someone who coming into the season, I told everyone like this guy is kind of interesting. You know, Dave Roberts right before the season started said this kid's going to play. He's made the opening day roster. We're not going to put him on the roster for, you know, just for him to hang out and play and be on the bench. He's going to play. And man, he has played so far two for five with a a double dong on Thursday night, including a go ahead grand slam in the ninth inning of that game. He's been leading off the past couple of days with Mookie Betts on the paternity list. So I don't think that's going to last, but either way he has earned everyday playing time with what he has done. He's batting 290, five home runs, 12 runs scored, 15 RBI, two steals, Good plate discipline, at least in terms of the walks. 10 walks, 22 strikeouts is high. He has been whiffing quite a bit. That's a 30% strikeout rate. He doesn't really chase, though. 22% chase rate. That is really impressive for a rookie. It's really impressive for anyone, especially for a rookie. Uh, He hits the ball hard. He had a 19% barrel rate entering Thursday. He also 92nd percentile sprint speed. And he had a really good season in the minors last year. James Outman is up to 88% rostered. Uh, so I, I don't really think he's available anywhere, Chris, but I'm, I'm starting to get that feeling. I know we're only three weeks in and like anything can happen. It's so early in the mm-hmm. season, but given what he's done in the minors, even, you know, age to level, he's you know probably was too old for some of the levels in that lineup, a lineup that needs him, a team that typically gets the, 
you know, gets a good amount out of their hitters. I feel really, really good wherever I have James Altman right now. Yeah, and I mean, we're talking about a very small sample size against lefties, only 13 plate appearances, so basically nothing. But like, he hasn't been overmatched, at least. Five walks to one strikeout. Uh, That's a key thing when you're looking at a young left-handed hitter is, you know, can they at least hold their own against lefties? And and so far in the small sample size, he has. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty impressive. He had cooled down considerably since his last home run uh, before this double home run game. I think it was like his previous 11 games or something. He had hit 235 with like a 650 OPS. So there had been some some definite cool down. Yeah, his previous 10 games before this 621 OPS, but. All in all, like you said, the the underlying metrics all look very, very good. There aren't too many red flags here. Um, I'm pretty pleased with what we're seeing from him so far. I recently moved Outman inside of my top 50 outfielders as well, Chris, up to outfielder 48. That's just ahead of uh, Jake McCarthy. McCarthy has done nothing. He's been sitting out the past couple of games, a uh, couple games as well, just ahead of Michael Conforto, Austin Hayes. So he's kind of in that range of like high floor players. Uh, but I think there's a lot of upside. So what do you think top 50 on Altman? Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable because the thing about outfield is like once you get to, I mean, 35, 36, 37, <laughs> like I've got Brandon Nimmo and Ian Happ at like the 36, 37 mark. Then Nick Castellanos who's hitting well, but has no, no home runs so far this season. And then it's Oscar Colas and Jared Kalnick and Jorge Soler and, yeah, it's um I think top 50 makes sense and it's partially just how good he's been and partially that the outfit position stinks. Yeah, and I guess you could call James Outman a sell high, but he's so unproven that I don't think anyone's really going to pay much to get him right now. I'd rather just hold on, especially on that team, the way he's playing and see uh you know where he actually goes like Maybe this is just a full-on breakout. So really liking what I've seen seeing from James Altman so far this season. Chris, obviously, it was Fernando Tatis Jr. Day. I'm rocking the uh, home run Hermano <laughs> shirt from Rotoware. Didn't look too great. Uh, I think he went 0 for 5 with two strikeouts 5, yeah. in that game. But hey, you know, it's his first game back. He's probably going to shake off some rust. Wasn't going to, you know, hit three home runs in a game like he was down in the minors. But it is good to have him back for fantasy. Yeah, still had a batted ball at 110 miles per hour. Uh, had a, you know, we were watching the end of that game and he lined out in the ninth inning and we both kind of had the same reaction like, oh, he didn't really hit that one that hard. It was kind of looked like it was kind of off the end of the bat. It was 100, 100.4 miles per hour exit velocity on that one. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be. Very, very good. I think you can make a very good case that he's going to be the best player in fantasy moving forward. I know there is one guy in our chat every night <laughs> on FFT who does not agree with us, but that's okay. I, I think Fernando Tatis is going to have an awesome season, and I'm glad he's back. Yesterday, we had the Welsh on the podcast, and his, oh my goodness gracious, was Madison Bumgarner. Turns out... <laughs> He was spot on because Matt Bone got DFA'd on Thursday. And apparently Tommy Henry is going to take Mad Bum's spot in the rotation. That's what they're saying. I don't know how true that is, Chris. Maybe they just called him up to have an extra arm in the bullpen. I don't really know how that can be the move when Brandon Fott just went out on Thursday night and had his best start of the season in the minors. Seven shutout with eight strikeouts. What do you think happens here? Like, 
is Brandon fought up next time in the rotation or do they actually give Tommy Henry a shot? What are you thinking? So I am not sure what the situation with their 40 man roster is, but I know that that was the thing with fought was he was not on the 40 man uh, coming into the season. So, you know, that could be a, a limiting factor if they don't have the roster spot to play with, although they did DFA Madison Bumgarner. So they should in theory have that spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would think it's, before long we see him I, I'm not uh, I'm not thinking that that Hunter's going to stick around in the rotation for long so yeah I, I'm a little more skeptical of Fott's upside than perhaps most people I, I, I think you know in reading the scouting reports I, I get a sense that like he might be more of like a Tommy uh, Tyler Malley type which yeah, that's a good player um, but I just I do have some concerns there, but not not enough that I don't think you should add him. And, you know, especially when he gets the call. And, uh, you know, I don't think we shouldn't be excited about him. I just want to, you know, I feel like we sometimes talk about him like he's like a Grayson Rodriguez level uh, pitching prospect. And he's not that, you know, he's not one of the consensus top guys in, in baseball. He's a, a good pitching prospect. Mm-hmm. Brandon Fott is 42% rostered. The question I kept getting Thursday, Chris, is Mason Miller or Brandon Fott? And it's tough for me to answer because if you need someone to pitch right now, Mason Miller looks like he's a two-star pitcher for next week. But the team context is much better for Brandon Fott, and he was a much higher-ranked prospect than Mason Miller coming into the season. So even if you have to wait one or two more weeks you know, after Mason Miller... I think that that's the way that I lean right now. What do you think, Fott versus uh, Miller? I would have a tough time dropping Miller. Uh, but, like, if you have to make the decision, you know, before your Sunday night waiver wire runs uh, on Fott or Miller, I, I think picking Fott over Miller is a, a reasonable choice because if nothing else, Fott is likely to come up to the majors and throw 90 pitches in his first outing. I'm not sure we're going to see that from Mason Miller. I, I certainly don't think we're going to see 100 innings from Mason Miller in the majors. So that's, um, that's I think, where the, the distinction comes from, even if I think Mason Miller has a decent chance to just be better than him on a per-inning basis. All right, so hopefully we're seeing Brandon Fott soon. Again, he had his best start at AAA on Thursday night, seven shutout with eight strikeouts there. Go out and add him if you need pitching, if you're looking to stash uh, a prospect that could be up very soon with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Bad job by me. We already mentioned, like, played the wrong Kokomo Friday video uh, to start the podcast, and I buried the lead. Chris, Connor Joe, he is back. I don't know what he is back to, but he is back. One for three with a three-run homer. That's his second home run of the season. He's batting 340. Good plate discipline so far. Six walks to 12 strikeouts. He's hitting the ball hard. The barrel rate looks good. He has started eight of the last nine games. Tell me I'm wrong, Chris. Tell me I'm wrong about Connor Joe. I mean... You're probably wrong. Ah, he had a 697 OPS playing for the Rockies last season. So uh, yeah, but they're the I Rockies. I think it's fair to assume that he's not particularly good. Now, uh, that being said, his quality of contact metrics and and really m- most of his metrics this season look very good. He's hitting the ball hard. His plate discipline's very, been very good. We're talking about a 57 plate appearance sample size. So skepticism is well earned, but. If you have a roster spot to play with, 
I, I think it's fine to take a chance on him. I, I think like, like Trent Grisham has been pretty good lately. I think I'd rather have Trent Grisham than him. Um, who are some other it's hitters? So, it's so funny you like, bring that up. Joey, Joey Gallo. I would rather have, I would rather take the chance on Joey Gallo. I think Josh Lowe. I agree. I would rather take the chance on Jorge Soler, but like, if I've got Andrew Benintendi on my team, and to be clear, I don't on any of my teams, but for some reason he's 79% rostered, drop him for Connor Joe. Sure, yeah. So you, the first thing you brought up was Trent Grisham. I moved Connor Joe up to my 85th ranked outfielder, which, mind you, that's not very high. I realize that. Yes. It's one spot behind Trent Grisham. So it was just so funny that that yeah. was the name that you came up with. And look, as much as I love Connor Joe, I, I am kind of being facetious with it. I said the other day, if he continues to hit well and he continues to play, I think that he has earned at least deeper mixed league relevancy. Yeah. 15 team, five outfielder leagues. You need a corner infield as well. He's got first base. He's got outfield eligibility. He's only 5% rostered. He's got six games next week. I think in a league that deep, yes, I would be willing to take a shot on Connor Joe if I need a body, like if I need someone who's playing. And there are a bunch of guys who like, in 12-team and deeper leagues, we took flyers on, like Joey Manessis and Brandon Jury and Will Myers, guys who we you know, wanted to see what they had. And at least in the early going, they have nothing. <laughs> so I think it's perfectly reasonable to drop any of those guys for him. I was going to talk about, we'll get into some pitchers in, uh, actually, let's just talk about them now. We'll talk about some of the interesting pitchers on the waiver wire who emerged here on Thursday and we'll start off with Tanner Houck, who was great up against the Twins. Career high, seven innings pitched, three runs allowed, seven strikeouts with 16 swinging strikes. And he is a new pitcher this year. He's throwing a new cutter 15% of the time. He's increased his splitter usage. He actually doubled the splitter usage in this start, and, and it looked like a really good pitch for him. So kind of interested in, in Tanner Houck, more of a deep league play. 25% roster for him. Rowanzi Contreras looked great up against the Reds. I know they're kind of going through it, and they're the Reds, so they're not very good. And this game was in Pittsburgh. Six and two-thirds, one run, eight strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes on 93 pitches for Contreras. All 14 of those coming on the slider. I thought it was so interesting, Chris, because yesterday we were talking about uh, Luis Garcia getting all, not, not all of them, but 19, I think, of 21 or 23 whiffs on his cutter. And then one day later, Contreras gets all these whiffs on his slider. So it's just a very interesting timing. Matt Strom, he struck out a career-high 11 up against the Rockies. He did allow three earned runs over five and a third innings in that one. Uh, but he's actually been pretty good so far this year. 27 strikeouts over 18 innings pitched, 19% rostered. I think all of these are deeper league plays, Chris, but... Any interest in Tanner Houck, Contreras, and Matchstrom? You are muted, sir. Yeah, I was surprised that uh, Strom got the the kind of strikeout numbers he did. Did and overall, he's got what'd you say, twenty six and seventeen innings. That's pretty wild. Six straight, six and three straight starts. Um, I don't think there's anything there, but. I can't say for sure. Pitching is very hard to predict. And, you know, maybe there's something there, but I'm less interested in him than I am in Contreras and Tanner Houck. And to be honest, I'm not all that interested in any of these guys. Um, Contreras, I think he's a one-pitch pitcher is is my concern. You know, you, you mentioned the, the 14 whiffs with the one pit with the slider today. I just like he throws hard, but he doesn't seem to have a particularly good fastball. 
He's talked about working on the changeup, but it remains a non-factor for him. So I just, I don't see too much to get excited about. Hauk is interesting because of the changes that he's making. Because he's one of those guys, he used to just be, like the slider was the only thing he had that was at all useful for him. And, you know, now he's he's throwing that splitter about 15% of the time. He's gotten good results with it so far. And, you know, the the new cutter, like you mentioned, it's gotten okay results. We'll see. The, the problem is he's got like three variations of a fastball, sinker, four-seam, and cutter. They all have a 91-mile-per-hour average exit velocity allowed so far this season. Um, so that's concerning. The slider, I think, remains the clear class of his uh, pitch mix. But, yeah, we're seeing some interesting stuff from him. There, there are some interesting changes, and, and changes are always – worth talking about, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know if that means Tanner Hawk's necessarily worth adding, but yeah. I mentioned recently that I like to create these scenarios in my head, right? And I've got another one. Tanner Houck, back up against the wall. James Paxson getting ready to make his return. He does not want to lose his spot in the rotation, so what does he do? He goes out and he shoves against the Minnesota Twins, and he looked really good doing it. I mean, that slider has always been... An awesome pitch for Hal. Yeah. It, it looks very Chris Sale esque, and you know we've made that comp before. But he hasn't really had anything else, and you know now he's yeah. throwing this cutter and the splitter looks really good in this one as well. Yeah, I mean six whiffs on twenty pitches with the splitter. Yeah. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so I, I don't think any of these pitchers is a must add or in the conversation of guys like Johan Oviedo or Mason Miller or the other pitchers that we've talked about recently. Yeah. But in deeper leagues. Yeah, like if you, everyone needs pitching right now, then why not? Uh, next week, Tanner Houck is going up against the Orioles. That's in Baltimore, so it's a better ballpark to pitch in. He's RP eligible, so if you need a SPARP in a points league, I think there's something there with Tanner Houck as well. The stuff has always been good. We just need more consistency, and hopefully Tanner Houck can build off of that. Let's take our first break, and when we return, I've got a few other pitchers. I don't think they matter, but we'll find out from Chris right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back, and make sure to download and follow our five-minute podcast as well, Fantasy Baseball Today in 5. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can scan the QR code in the top right, or if you're listening on the audio side, just wherever you listen to podcasts, just search up Fantasy Baseball Today in 5. A few other pitchers worth mentioning, or maybe not, I don't know, but they were they were good. They weren't great. They're oh, worth others. mentioning. Let's talk about them, Chris. Luke Weaver. Do you want to do the, the Adam Azer? Luke. 
Quiva. There you go. Uh, he got touched up for four runs in the first inning and then just completely settled down. Six innings, four runs, eight strikeouts for him, 14 swinging strikes on 93 pitches, seven on the changeup, four on the fastball. Did allow a lot of hard contact. Has not been fantasy relevant since 2019 when Adam Azer was hosting this podcast. So <laughs> do with that what you will. Uh, Ryan Feltner. He pitches for the Rockies, if you didn't know. He had a strong start at the Phillies. Five and two-thirds shutout with six strikeouts. Velocity was up a tad across the board. He didn't really do anything different with the pitch mix that I noticed. Um, anything here, Chris? <laughs> Probably not. I'm looking into Weaver because the the issue for him, you know, he, he came up with, with some regard as a prospect, but never really, um, you know, figured it out. And I think the biggest issue for him was just that he never f- quite figured out a way to become less fastball reliant. You know, the last couple of seasons, he's been like 60% uh, fastball usage, always above 50%. In this one, it was down to 38%. He threw his change up 35% of the time, curveball 16%, cutter 11%. So, you know, it, it's like with Hauk, with, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily meaningful yet, but anytime we're talking about a player with, you know, pretty obvious limitations. When that player takes steps to address those limitations, I, I think that's worth noting. It, it doesn't necessarily mean Weaver is going to be great moving forward. It doesn't necessarily even mean that he's worth adding in the vast majority of leagues, but it's worth noting and worth keeping an eye on is where I'm at with him. Yeah. Put Luke Weaver on the scout team for now and let's see yeah. where he goes from here. He did change up the pitch mix from the last time we saw him. Uh, much less fastballs, more changeups and curveballs. So I would imagine throwing his secondary stuff is probably better for somebody like Luke Weaver. Let's hit the news and notes. Max Scherzer has been suspended 10 games due to the use of a foreign substance, and he was going to appeal, but decided against it. And I was going to get Scott's thoughts on the fiasco, but Scott is not with us for now. And obviously, if that changes, you'll just hear him pop in. So hopefully... Uh, he gets back. Both Corbin Burns and Hunter Green have been cleared for their next starts, with both of those coming this Sunday. Amazing news, as Liam Hendricks announced on Instagram that he is cancer-free. Obviously, baseball is on the back burner in a situation like mm-hmm. this, but he was not placed on the 60-day IL, and he said all along that he would like to pitch at some point this season. We don't know when that will be, but hopefully sometime soon. That It would be awesome to get Liam Hendricks back Uh, just for baseball and obviously for fantasy as well. Jameson Tyone was placed on the IL with a left groin strain. It's being called mild to moderate. Javier Assad was called from AAA, and I believe Assad went three innings with two runs against the Dodgers on Thursday. Uh, Chris, anything there in deeper leagues, Javier Assad? No, I mean, that's one where the fact that he came up and threw three innings, it wouldn't be surprising if he got sent down, um, you know, just to bring up a fresh arm. Mm Mm-hmm. Bryce Harper made throws from 60 feet and took live batting practice on Thursday. There's still no exact timetable, but although sounds like progress. There was, I think Rob Thompson said today that he may not go on a minor league rehab assignment when he's ready to play. He may just get called. I mean, it's kind of surprising given the lengthy layoff and the fact that he's going to be learning a new position, but they, I don't know. It, it, Every little bit of information that we get just seems to make me more and more optimistic about his timetable. Like in May is probably still optimistic, but like it wouldn't shock me if that happened. Yeah. Late May. I mean, 
we've heard mostly, you know, June. Some people have said July floated around like the second half of the season. But look, if everything is going right, uh, maybe a month from now, we could see Bryce Harper. And I, I wonder if Rob Thompson said that just because, like, the Phillies are off to a slow start and they've been yeah. inconsistent. They're 8-12 and 12 so far this season. Look, they could turn it around in the next week and, and none of that will matter. But we'll see with Bryce Harper. Carlos Rodon will not throw for a few days and is set to undergo a CT scan. All the other tests on his back have already come back normal. They don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows what's going on with Carlos Rodon. Tony Gonsolin allowed two runs over three innings in his first rehab outing at AAA. Sounds like he could be back soon. Starling Marte missed Thursday's game with a stiff neck, but was feeling much better and said he could return to the lineup on Friday. Dodgers catcher Will Smith is not expected to return this weekend. He is still on the concussion IL. Michael Conforto was back in the starting lineup Thursday after missing nearly a week with a calf issue. Evan Phillips was placed on the paternity list, and Brewstar Gratterall actually pitched the ninth inning of Thursday's game with a four-run lead. He struck out two. He did look very good in that outing. Logan O'Hoppy was pulled Thursday after injuring his left shoulder. He'll be evaluated in the next couple of days, and it's quite unfortunate because you know he's he's been one of the rookie catchers that, that actually looks awesome yeah. so far this season. Um, so if you play in a one-catcher league, you might have to plan on uh, having a backup for next week if you have Ohapi. Brett Beatty was out of the lineup again against a lefty on Thursday night. And Chris, this was part of my fear. I mean, they, they've done this with Francisco Alvarez. And I understand maybe you don't want to put too much on a young player's plate. But at some point, too, like, don't you just let the kid play and let's find out if he can hit lefties at least, right? Like, I, I don't know. It, it, I didn't wind up with Brett Beatty in any, any fab leagues. I have him in a few drafting holds, but... You know, if I picked him up, I'd be pretty frustrated about this. Absolutely. And that's what's the I, I don't understand the point of calling a guy up to not play him. You know, in Francisco Alvarez's case, you know, maybe he just really needs a lot of work behind the plate and they're in a dire situation. And, and but like Beatty's played left field in the minors. Beatty could potentially play first base, I would imagine. He's played third base. I just don't. I don't understand not having him in the lineup every day. It's, you know, one thing with Alvarez in particular they talked about was like, they don't want to use him at DH yet, but if he looks comfortable and he proves himself, they'll use him there. And so it's in both of those cases, I do think it's a situation where like, if either of those guys gets hot, I think they could play their way into for into everyday playing time, but it's just, it doesn't quite make sense to, not give them that chance. How can you get hot if you're not playing, Chris? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. Like that's really tough. Yeah, it's it's frustrating so far uh, for Brett Beatty and for Alvarez. I mean, the difference between those guys is Alvarez got called up because of an injury situation. That was not mm -hmm. the case with Brett Beatty. They called yep. him up based on merit, what he was doing in the minors. So if that's the case. They should be playing him every day. And I don't and, know. Maybe I just sound like a salty fantasy player and the Mets know and, what they're doing, but like it, it's the kind of thing that like the Rays and the Dodgers are known for. You know, they'll call up a top prospect, and if they don't think they're ready to help them against lefties, you know, we saw this with Gavin Lux when he got called up. We've yeah. seen it with Josh Lowe. We've seen it with countless guys. Brandon Lau, who is good against lefties in his career, hasn't really played against them this season. So it's it's frustrating. I get it. And it's the kind of thing where, like, I guess if uh, I'm completely blanking on the 
the the Mets third baseman who hit Eduardo Escobar. Yeah. If he hits well in the ne- in the next couple of games and, and earns his playing time back, then it's hard to argue with it. But like, I think even after tonight, he's got like a 450 OPS. So it's it's pretty disconcerting and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, don't speak it into existence, Chris, because Eduardo Escobar did go two for five with a home run on Thursday night. Uh, Twins manager Rocco Baldelli said that Jorge Polanco is pretty close to returning. Your thoughts, Chris? What happens with Edward Julian? Do you think he sticks around once Polanco's back? That's a good question. Um, he hasn't done so much to suggest that like he's he can't stay up or that he can't go down. Uh, hasn't walked yet, or I think he's gone walked once in 30 plate appearances, which is surprising. There are positive signs. He's hitting the ball hard. He's his chase rate is like 11%. I think he's got an 11% chase rate and his end zone swing rate is like 75% or something. It's wild. Um, so there are things to like, but yeah, I think there's a, there's a decent chance Polanco sends him down. Although will Polanco be ready to play the field every day? That's, that's a fair question. Yeah. So Edward Julian, he was actually batting third on Thursday. He had the big mm-hmm. game Wednesday night where he hit the home run, but He's got nine strikeouts, a 30% strikeout rate, 18% swinging strike rate. So uh, I kind of lean towards he'll get sent down. You know, last week I said if he hits, he'll stick. And I stand by that. The problem is he hasn't really hit. You know, he's he's been inconsistent so far. He's kind of looked like a rookie. So, um, yeah, as of right now, I, I think he's probably going to get sent down. But I hope I'm wrong. Kent Maeda left his start early after taking a line drive off of his left leg. X-rays came back negative. Giants manager Gabe Kapler said Mitch Hanniger is getting close to a return. Alex Wood is set to miss at least several weeks with that hamstring strain. Ross Stripling is expected to re-enter the Giants rotation. Old friend Joey Lucchese will be called up to start Friday for the Mets with Carlos Carrasco on the IL. A few prospect updates. Matt Mervis is doing Matt Mervis things at AAA. <laughs> and I, I actually wrote this down before Thursday's game where he hit his fourth home run, but he was betting 267 with a 426 on base percentage, more walks and strikeouts. Did you see the home run he hit today? Mammoth. Mammoth. It was, like, it was one of those ones where the announcer's just like, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> it was delightful, yeah. And I started freaking out on Thursday night because Eric Hosmer was pulled in that game. And it's like, well, did something happen? Was there an injury? And I'm searching Twitter and I can't find anything. And a couple of Cubs fans told me, no, they just pinch hit him because it was a lefty on lefty matchup. So I don't know how long the Cubs need can justify sticking with yeah. Hosmer's 245 batting average and 649 OPS. But outside of Brandon Fott, if you're looking for a hitter prospect to stash right now, it is Matt Mervis. He is 24% rostered and he could be a big impact player this season. Uh, I know that Scott wrote up uh, Guardians prospect Tanner Bybee as well. So, uh, like, I think once we get past Brandon Fott, once he gets called up, we'll, we'll probably turn our attention to Tanner Bybee. I think he's the uh, next name after that. Chris, what do we do with these guys? It's a hodgepodge of struggling players. Mm-hmm. Do we hold on to them? Do we drop them? Do we bench them in the case of certain pitchers here? We'll start off with Jose Miranda, who's batting 213 with zero home runs. He's slugging 250. He is making contact, but a lot of it is into the ground right now. Still 74% rostered. What do you do if you have Jose Miranda? I think you could probably drop him. Like he, he just has not been hitting the ball with authority. He didn't really do that last season either. He was someone that 
I feel like we all started the the draft season back in like, you know, January. Like, oh, yeah, we like Jose Miranda, potential breakout candidate. And then I feel like we all just kind of independently came to the same conclusion, like digging into the numbers, just like, is he good, though? And, you know, now we're 144 games into his career where he's hitting 260 with a fifth with 15 home runs. And it's like, I, I think he might not be good. So I, I'm fine dropping him. Mm-hmm. And you might be able to drop him for somebody like Patrick Wisdom, 75%. Yeah, yeah. That's probably more of a, a shallow league play. Josh Rojas has looked very good so far, and they have three games in Cordes Field next week, so that could be an option. Uh, J.D. Davis has been hitting the ball hard. He's, you know, he's been pelvic thrusting. I think thrusting. all those are fine, yeah. Yeah, he's you know, thrusting his way through uh, <laughs> through these this new batting stance that he has going on. So, uh, yeah, I, I think in shallower leagues, you could drop Miranda. If you play in a deeply like a 15 teamer, there's probably no one out there worth justifying it for. But shallower leagues, I think you could probably make that swap. What about Tristan Casas? This is a name that I know at least Scott and I were interested in. I don't know how interested you were coming into the season, Chris, but he went one for two with two walks on Thursday. He's only batting 143. He hasn't been playing against lefties. He's walking quite a bit. He's also striking out a lot. He's got a 31% strikeout rate. Lots of fly balls has led to a low BABIP, a low lower batting average. But this is a big-time prospect who, you know, at least for now, is on the strong side of a platoon. He's still 63% rostered. What do you do with Tristan Casas? He's got, I believe, a 177 expected batting average, so you can't even really say that it's like bad luck there with the 176 BABIP. He's one of those players who's got a 90.8 average exit velocity, which is pretty good. Um, His hard hit rate is 32.3%, which is pretty bad. And that that tells me that there's just a lot of inconsistency here. You know, there, there's clearly talent when he squares one up. It, it tends to go pretty far and he tends to hit it pretty hard. It's just not doing that often enough. So, no, he's not someone who needs to be rostered everywhere, I would say. I feel similarly to Jose Miranda as I do with Casas. You know, deeper leagues, I don't think there's anyone out there to justify dropping Casas mm-hmm. for. But, you know, if you play in a 12-team points league, if... What if Torkelson's available, uh, Chris? Would yeah, you do that? I'd I'd rather roster Casas than Miranda. Um, I do think there's more upside with Casas. So if neither of them's hitting, I'd rather just bet on the upside long term. But uh, yeah, I think both of them are droppable, and and Torkelson I think would be a, a reasonable option. I'll tell you what, if Matt Mervis gets called up and we know he's going to play every day, I'll, I'll make that swap too. I'll, I'll drop either Miranda or Casas for. Uh, Matt Mervis, but only if he gets called up. Patrick Sandoval was quite bad at the Yankees. It really was early on in that game. He just could not throw strikes, which when Patrick Sandoval is off, that's what tends to happen. He that's the issue, yeah. Five earned runs over four innings pitched, six walks in this one. You know, still had 13 swinging strikes, 31% CSW solid. Changeup was his most used pitch. It, it was just throwing strikes, Chris. So uh, what are you doing with Sandoval? He's up against Oakland next week. Starting him against Oakland. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been another frustrating start to the season for Sandoval. Changeup was his most used pitch today. He threw it in the strike zone 35% of the time. Uh, overall, only 43% of his pitches were in the strike zone. So, yeah, just didn't seem to have it. And, and he goes through these stretches where he just can't throw strikes. And it's pretty frustrating, disappointing. But I still believe in the stuff. I, I think he'll figure it out. Um but yeah, it's, it's frustrating for sure. I'm not dropping him, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm still starting him against Oakland. I mean, they're just so bad. Ezekiel Tofar, 
This is an interesting one because I know you drafted a lot of Tovar, Chris. Another Ofer. He is batting 180. He's got zero home runs, four walks to 19 strikeouts. That's a 29% strikeout rate, 246 slugging percentage. He's not hitting the ball hard. It's hard. Look, I know we're talking a lot about a lot of young players and prospects. And last year, just look at what Julio Rodriguez did in the first month. Ezekiel Tovar is not Julio Rodriguez, but prospects can get off to slow starts and then pick it up very quickly. So that's why like, I kind of want to preach patience, but in shallower leagues, I kind of understand if people want to cut bait on Tovar. Yeah. I mean, he's batting at the bottom of the lineup for the most part. He's, I mean, look, he's hitting 180 and that's actually better than his expected batting average right now. His expected batting average is 168. Like you said, not hitting the ball hard at all, 22% hard hit rate, one barrel, 85.7 mile per hour exit velocity, 27% strikeout rate. He's really just not doing anything well. Um, I would want to hold on to him just because of the the course field of it all and the fact that he's a good prospect. But um, and I would rather have him than Jose Miranda. I, I, I don't know. I just I find Jose Miranda very underwhelming. Um, <laughs> Jeez. I think there's just more upside with Tovar. Like if Tovar figures it out, I think it's going to look a lot better than Miranda if he figures it out. Um, but yeah, I can't say he's Tovar's worth, you know, rostering in all formats either. Three names that are rostered in less leagues than Tovar, Bryce Terang, Zach Neto, CJ Abrams. Would you take any of those over Tovar? Probably Neto. Cause I do think there's similar upside there. And, and ultimately if I'm hanging on to Tovar, it's for upside, not for using him right now. I don't think Abrams or who was the other one? Bryce Terang. I, I like Terang. I just, the, the playing time in, in Milwaukee is so uncertain that I, yeah. I think it's only Neto that I would drop Tovar for. Okay. Uh, two pitchers that were going up against each other. Kodai Senga bad. Once again, I've watched each of his starts, I have him on my most important league, the NFBC main event. He went five innings. He allowed four runs, four walks, two home runs allowed. He only had nine swinging strikes, and he has three or more walks in all four of his starts. His whip is now up to 1.52. Chris, what do we do with Kodai Senga? He's going up against the Nationals next week. I'm probably starting against the Nationals. <laughs> I, I understand being frustrated, and, and look, this is... One where when I finally saw him pitch in spring training, I was like, oh, this guy's this guy's really exciting. And then I, you know, now seeing him pitch a couple times through, you start to understand why like the projection systems weren't super high on him and why there were concerns about the command because the command has been super iffy so far. I, I think he'll figure it out. You know, we've seen this a lot with with players making the jump from Japan to the United States. They use a different type of ball, the ball in Japan is is tackier. It has, I think, higher, now lower seams. And so it's it's just a different experience. And so there can be an adjustment period. But yeah, if it wasn't a matchup against a bad offense like the Nationals, I'd probably stick away. You mentioned it being command for Senga. And I know command versus control, it's like yeah. kind of nitpicky. But for me, I, I actually just think it's control. I don't think he knows where the ball is going half the time. Command is, okay, I'm missing my spots within the zone and, and maybe I'm getting hit hard because of it. He can't throw strikes. Like, his his stuff moves so much that he can't throw it for strikes. Like even the fastball, he's had a hard time commanding too. So, like, that's why you see the swinging strike rate is not impressive for Senga so far is that a, a lot of the time, opposing batters are just 
not to yeah, they're able to lay off. Yeah. yeah it's he's been really, really frustrating to watch. I, I agree with you. I think against the nationals, you're probably rolling him out, out there. I'm not dropping him or anything, you know, Maybe if you play in a shallow league, just kind of sit him for a couple of weeks and hope that he gets back on track. That's Kodai Senga. The last name here is Sean Benaya, who he had a great start against the Tigers. His velocity is up this season, but he's got an ERA over six. He's got a 1.3 whip. He's still 66% rostered. Chris, I think any of the recent most added pitchers that we've talked about, I'd be all right dropping yeah. Sean Benaya. Oviedo for sure. Uh, yep. It is tough just because like, He's always had better results than you would think from a guy who doesn't throw particularly hard with his fastball. Now he is throwing pretty hard, especially for a lefty. He hides the ball well. He gets good extension. There's a lot of individual components to it, and it's just not working out for him so far. So I don't want to give up on him entirely. But yeah, if Oviedo's out there for sure, I would drop him. All right, let's take our final break here. And when we return, we'll do our week five preview here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Welcome back, and let's jump into our Week 5 preview, and we'll start off with the schedule for next week. 13 teams have 7 games, 16 teams have 6 games, 1 unlucky team has 5 games, Chris. <laughs> the Padres, as soon as we get Fernando Tatis Jr. back, he's got a 5-game week. Obviously, you're still starting him, but it's it's just kind of frustrating. Yeah, you're starting all those Padres guys, even, even with the short week, but like, I don't know. If you picked up Trent Grisham, you can probably sit him. Mm -hmm. uh, what about the Rockies? We always want to monitor what's going on with them. They've got six games next week. Three are at home against the Diamondbacks. So if you are looking to take advantage, uh, I'll get to a few Diamondbacks hitters a, a little bit later on. Scott's two-star pitchers to add this week. Uh, again, Scott dealing with some some issues right now, uh, some internet issues. So we'll just quickly run through some of these names, Chris. And no surprise, Johan Oviedo is at the top of the list. And I, I know if Scott was here, he would rave about Johan Oviedo, and rightfully so. He's got those Jekyll and Hyde matchups to Dodgers and at the Nationals. But the way that he's pitching right now, I think you just got to roll with Johan Oviedo. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like you said, the, the matchup against the Dodgers isn't ideal. And... I don't know how much we can take away from a good start at Coors Field because Coors Field's such a weird place. But yeah, the way he's pitching right now, I think you have to roll with him with two starts, especially in a points league. Hey, we talked about these names last night as well, but Kyle Bradish, only 31% rostered. He's got the Red Sox at the Tigers next week. Edward Cabrera at the Braves and versus the Cubs. Mason Miller at the Angels and versus the Cincinnati Reds. Chris, how would you rank those just based on their... Their matchups for next week, your your likelihood to play them, Bradish, Cabrera, and Mason Miller. I wish Cabrera didn't have such a tough matchup against Atlanta yeah. at the start because, man, that's one that if he doesn't have his command early, they can jump on him real quick. I'd still go with him ahead of Bradish and Miller. Miller's tough because two-start pitchers we usually like more in points leagues. But... I don't think Mason Miller is going to give you a quality start. I would, I will say, I think it's unlikely Mason Miller gives you a quality start in either of those. That's a big part of uh, points league value. Also wins. He's not a great bet for wins either. So Miller, I actually prefer in a roto league this this week, and Bradish probably in a points league. All right, Eduardo Rodriguez is also fifty two percent rostered, but I'm pretty sure we like him. Less than all those other names we've mentioned so far, right? I I think I would start him over Miller in a points league, but other than that, yeah. Eduardo Rodriguez, the matchups, by the way, at the Brewers and versus the Orioles for him. And then in deeper leagues, those, yeah. 
Josiah Gray at the Mets and versus the Pirates. So again, it's you know one tough matchup and one I don't want to say easy matchup. Like the Pirates are pesky right now. They are yeah, they're hitting. They're putting together good at bats, and of course they've got that slugger Connor Joe on their team. So <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd watch out. I, I do kind of in a points league. I think you could get away with playing Josiah Gray, yeah. and then uh, in the deepest of leagues, Dean Kramer only nine percent rostered. Again, the matchups for him: Boston Red Sox and at the Detroit Tigers. Single start streamers, three names here. Hayden Wesneski going up against the Marlins. Very interested to see how Wesneski does this weekend against the Dodgers. We know his last time out, dominant against the Oakland A's, seven innings, one run there. Uh, but the Marlins are a team that he definitely could take advantage of if everything is working. And then Eric Lauer up against the Tigers, Kyle Gibson also up against the Tigers. Chris, how would you rank those three for next week? I think I would go Wesneski, Lauer, Gibson. The, the, the same order you have them in. Um, but I think all three of them are, are fine single start streamers. I don't love any of them, but Wesneski did finally have a good start in his last outing. Velocity hasn't been up nearly as much as we thought it would be in spring. So I, I think he's pretty middling, but you know, with a decent matchup, it's okay. What about the hitters, the best hitter matchups for next week? The Diamondbacks, the Twins, the Angels, Guardians, and the Orioles. The worst hitter matchups, the Phillies, Astros, Padres, Royals, and the White Sox. Uh, Scott's top sleeper hitters for next week. We'll start with his top five. Joey Gallo going up against the Yankees and the Royals. Patrick Wisdom, we know he has been mashing home runs this week. Uh, Josh Lowe going up against the, the Astros and White Sox. I'll pull up his schedule, but I'm pretty sure if Scott has him on this list, he probably is playing mostly righties next week. Andrew yeah, I'm Mc looking that up right now. Andrew McCutcheon has been hot, uh, as has Cabrian Hayes. I, the numbers don't reflect it yet for Hayes. But he's hitting the ball hard. He's been leading off the past couple days. He's been running a little bit. And the launch angle is up for Cabrian Hayes. So it could come together very quickly for him. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on these? Gallo, Wisdom, Josh Lowe, McCutcheon, and Cabrian Hayes. Yeah, the way it sets up right now, it looks like Lowe's going to face all right-handed pitchers. He does nice. avoid Framber Valdez with the Astros series. And then it's uh, Cease, Lynn, Giolito, and Clevenger. You know, obviously... Those guys can be good, but I, outside of Cease, I don't know if anyone necessarily is worth avoiding. And the way Josh Lowe's playing right now, I think you you have to you have to consider him. He's not striking out very much. He's hitting the ball really hard, and he's stealing bases. I I wish they'd give him a chance against lefties just to see, but given the way the schedule works out, yeah, I think he's absolutely worth adding in, in, for this week. The rest of Scott's sleeper hitters, J.D. Davis. Look, if you need a third baseman, if you had Jose Miranda or you have Jose Miranda in a shallow league, I, I think you make that swap. J.D. Davis uh, for next week. Edouard Julian, assuming that he's with the team, he's got seven games next week going up against the Yankees and the Royals. Miles Straw, specifically if you are looking for speed. And then Kerry Carpenter and Rodolfo Castro for those playing in deeper leagues. Chris, I mentioned the D-backs have three games in Coors Field. Can I interest you in a Josh Rojas or Alec Thomas? In Colorado, I like Rojas more. If I'm going to start one of them, I like Thomas more as a long-term stash. Uh, but there are still playing time concerns for him, so I, uh, yeah, I would prefer Rojas. Rodolfo Castro. There, there are some interesting things going on with him. He's hitting the ball really, really hard. Um, 77th percentile average exit velocity at 91.4 miles per hour, 48.6 percent hard hit rate. Not striking out very much. He's hitting the ball in the air there. There are some interesting signs for Rodolfo Castro here that are uh, 
worth keeping an eye on and potentially starting next week. And then Carpenter, you know, the three games at Milwaukee, that's a good home park or that's a good park. And then, you know, at Detroit is not great, but that's, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And for the Diamondbacks next week, the three games in Colorado, two of them are against lefties. So, you know, maybe Alec Thomas sits out one of those and, um, Rojas has been playing every day, even against lefties, and he's been yep. leading off too. So I am very interested in him. If you need a catcher in a one catcher league, Gabriel Moreno will also get those three games in course sure. field. So if you lost out on Logan O'Hoppy in a shallower league, maybe that's a move you go out and make. Let's hit some leftovers here, Chris, and just one pitching leftover. Nestor Cortez, solid once again, six innings, three runs, seven strikeouts for him. He's followed his pitch mix to a T so far this season. He's looked like Nestor Cortez, he's picked up exactly where he left off, a 309 ERA, a 103 whip, right around a strikeout per inning. I don't know that there's much to add, but it's nice to see some consistency from a mid-round starting pitcher. He he's just so consistent. He's just he's so good. Uh you know, you've got here on the rundown he has a 480 xFIP. I, that is a stat that I think will be misleading for him because xFIP attempts to normalize home run rate based on fly balls. So FIP is based on the amount of home runs you hit or give up, excuse me. XFIP is the amount of home runs you would be expected to give up based on the number of fly balls you give up. The thing with Nestor Cortez is he gives up a lot of fly balls, but a lot of them are weekly hit. A lot of them are infield pop-ups. So I, like you look at the expected ERA, it's 330. So that's a little behind his 260 ERA, but not very much. So I think, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any concerns there. He's really good. Sorry, 309 is his ERA right now. A few hitting leftovers. Alex Verdugo went two for four with his second home run. He's doing Verdugo things. He's betting 338 early on. Masataka Yoshida went two for five with two RBI and two runs scored. Want to see him get going. He's only batting 189. Uh, but He really needs it. His, his stack has page is disgusting. Right now. Disgustingly uh, bad? Bad, yeah. He's got one barrel. His exit velocity is 85.1 miles per hour. His expected WOBA on contact is 219. I don't know if I've ever seen one that low. Uh, Yikes. His average launch angle, negative 5.1 degrees. Eat your heart out, Eric Hosmer. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, he's been a pretty massive disappointment so far. Yeah, look, it's it's going to take some time. Again, there's a, a transition phase for you know players coming over from you know different countries, and uh, you know that Yoshida is no different. Um, I still like what I saw from him in the WBC and spring training. So, if anyone mm-hmm. is freaking out, especially in a points league, like his skill set fits perfectly. I would be looking to buy low on Masataka Yoshida right now. Anthony Rizzo is off to a great start, three for three with two raw two walks, two runs. He's batting three forty four. And his batted balls, he's kind of back to like vintage Anthony Rizzo. Lots of line drives, not really selling out for power. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, gets that batting average back up this year with the new rules. He's looked really good so far. Jonathan India continues his solid start three for four with his fourth stolen base. He's already got 14, uh, 17 runs scored. Excuse me. Max Muncie went one for two with two walks, a sock, and a shoe. His eighth home run, his first steal of the season. Cody Bellinger went one for two with his fourth home run. Two of his four homers have come against the Dodgers. You love to see it. I'm, I'm not a Dodgers hater or anything, but I mean the drama, right? Like 
This guy gets cut by the Dodgers, former MVP, and two of his four home runs have come against his former team. It's it's awesome. I love that. Um, his home run was 420 feet on 420. If you know, you know. Christian Walker went three for four with a double, batting average slowly climbing for him. A few bullpen updates. I uh, mentioned Bruce Star Gratterall closed out the ninth with Evan Phillips on the paternity list for the Cubs. Man, Michael Fulmer is, he is losing it. It's not yeah. looking good for him. Brad Boxberger pitched the eighth with the game tied. He was facing the top of the lineup, so you can argue that was the biggest spot at the point at that point in the game. He walked two, but got out of it. Michael Fulmer got the ninth, game still tied, gave up that go-ahead grand slam to James Outman. And also worth mentioning, Brandon Hughes is back with the Cubs. He pitched two innings on Thursday, did not allow a base runner, and he struck out four. So he looked dominant. I think the next couple of save opportunities go to Brad Boxberger, but if he falters, then Brandon Hughes might not be far behind. So keep that in mind, and I don't feel great about Michael Fulmer right now. Not at all, no. The regulars in the bullpen for the Pirates, David Bednar picked up his sixth save. Josh Hader also picked up his sixth save. To stream or not to stream for the weekend, on Friday, Yusei Kikuchi at the Yankees. I would rather not. It's the kind of thing where, like, if he struck out nine and six shutout innings, I would not be surprised. If he gave up nine runs in one inning, I would also not be surprised. <laughs> Before I get into the rest of the names, I do want to promote, Chris, you've been writing up a weekend preview, right? So people mm-hmm. can find that on the site? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been looking at, like, basically just trying to identify, like, it's basically like a what to watch for the weekend. So, like, here are the pitchers, here are the hitters to keep an eye on, um, latest injuries stuff. So, yeah, check it out. Cool. Domingo Herman is going up against the Blue Jays. I think I would. Yeah, he's it's been really funny. His strikeouts by start this season, eight, zero, eleven. So we'll see how uh, how mm. intent they are on checking the sticky stuff this time out. Uh, well, you know, it's a odd even start. So nah. maybe he's going to give you zero strikeouts again. Chris, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Drew Smiley going up against the Dodgers. Nah. Mitch Keller versus the Reds. Yes. Tyler Wells versus the Tigers. Uh, no. Braxton Garrett at the Guardians. I'd be fine with it. JP Sears at the Rangers. Nah. Seth Lugo at the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Steven Matz at the Mariners. No. On Saturday, Hayden Wesneski versus the Dodgers. Nah. Kyle Freeland at the Phillies. Nope. David Peterson at the Giants. Probably not. Rich Hill versus the Reds. Probably not. Kyle Gibson versus the Tigers. Probably not. I'm like on the fence with Kyle Gibson. Uh, Have you been watching uh, The Mandalorian? No, no. no, They gave Baby Yoda a little like button and he can hit yes, 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 or no, 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 no. (laughs) And it's delightful. One of the best things on the show. And we should just get that for the show. We'll just get... We'll just get that for this portion. We absolutely should. I'm sorry, you don't have any kind of uh, Baby Yoda paraphernalia? Uh... Yes, I do. So I, 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 I have a baby Yoda plush doll on my bed. Okay. Well, I was going to say like next time we do this segment, yeah, just I'll pull just them out and yeah. yeah, let's do it. Uh, Garrett Whitlock at the Brewers. Yes. Wade Miley versus the Red Sox. No. Zach Greinke at the Angels. Maybe. And then Probably on, <laughs> on Sunday, Matthew Boyd at the Orioles. Nah. Vince Velasquez versus the Reds. No. Peyton Battenfield versus the Marlins. No. Brian Bayo. Maybe. 
Brian Bayo at the Brewers. No, but I'm going to watch it. Kyle Muller at the Rangers. No. Dre Jameson versus the Padres. No, but I'm going to watch it. I think that's the right call. Uh, Tyler McGill at the Giants. Uh, no. We are going to wrap there. Chris, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.